This sermon was preached at University Park Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. For more information about UPBC, visit upbchouston.org. Let's open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 30. As we continue our study through this book together. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would teach us this morning from your word. We need you. We come um, each week to gather, Lord, in hope of the risen Savior. We come, Lord, not... Uh, defined by our failures or our circumstances, but we have a hope that is outside of us. We've been changed by something outside of us. We don't look to ourselves. We don't trust our heart. We trust you. And so we've come together, Lord, um, a hopeful people, but also a needy people, Lord, needing to know more of you and more of ourselves, more of the gospel, Lord, that we might trust you more. So we pray that from your word you would you would teach us and, Lord, show us our need for you and help us to live out the Christian life, not just to be hearers, but doers. And so, Lord, that means understanding how to trust you when we're hurt and cheated and deceived and, Lord, to put our hope in the one who is just. And so, Lord, whoever's here this morning that that particularly needs to hear that message, Lord, we pray you would speak to them. And uh, for for many of us who are holding on to some of that vengeance for ourselves, Lord, we pray that we would forgive, that today would be the day we lay those things down. So we ask for your help and guidance through our time and through your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. C.S. Lewis said that, Everyone thinks that forgiveness is a lovely idea until he has something to forgive. Donald Whitney tells a story of pastoring a small rural church when he was early in his ministry. He found out later that he was the 70th pastor this church had had in 21 years. You just take a moment. That's not a good sign. That's something you should have thought about maybe before going there. But there was a woman there named Patsy who opposed his every move. And it started with disagreement, then criticism, then developed into direct challenges. And after a year, he was ready to go. He took a week off, and while he was gone, he called for, she, she, Patsy, called for a deacon's meeting to get him fired. She forgot to invite the deacons that were supportive of the pastor, only invited those who didn't like him. And when he got back from vacation, she asked if he would be willing to attend a church meeting that she had secretly planned to discuss some problems with the church. And as a pastor, you kind of know you have to go to those meetings. You, you should be there. So, so that night, Patsy made the case, among, along with some others, to fire him. And uh, the next month, he, he, had, he had left and found another church that was healthy and uh, good. But Whitney says the stress of that situation, that year that he was there, uh, landed he and his wife in the hospital five times with three surgeries. 
And he even attributes his wife not being able to have children for 16 years to that kind of stress during that particular time led by that particular woman. And I just, that makes my blood boil. Maybe it makes your blood boil. You're like, okay, where's, where's Patsy? We're going to bring her up today. But I wonder if you can think of something like that in your own life. A time when you've been wronged or, or cheated, robbed of something that was precious to you, maybe attacked unjustly. Uh, Whitney talks about times in his life when he was going through this that he would be in the car or in front of the mirror and he would just think of things that he would want to say to her. You know, you ever do that? You don't ever think of the zinger in the moment, but later when you're in the mirror, in the shower, or in the car, my wife often comes up, well, who are you talking to? I'm like, no, no one in this room. But, but Whitney says that he can't remember one time walking away from an episode with Patsy without an awareness from the Lord that he needed to forgive her. Particularly in his prayer time, he would think of Jesus' words in Mark 11. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father who also is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. And so we're going we're gonna to study a passage today that's going to make your blood boil. It makes my blood boil. Uh, if I was Jacob in this text, I would be doing more, that, more than yelling at Laban in the shower. He's already deceived him into working seven years for the wife that he didn't love and then a seven more years for the wife that he did love. And now Jacob's family is an absolute wreck. We saw that last week. Not just two women, but four have now borne him children. And we come to the end of this 14-year slave-slash-son-in-law relationship, and Laban is going to do it again. Jacob is going to strike another deal with his father-in-law, and he's going to seek to cheat and deceive him from, from beginning to the end. But this time, Jacob responds. He's going to fight fire with fire. This is not his first rodeo. He's going to give Laban some of his own medicine. And even though that feels right to us, we have to just ask the question, is it? Because what we see here is despite Laban's lies and empty promises and the chaos between Jacob and Leah and Rachel, what we see again and again in the book of Genesis is God keeping his promises. God doing what he said he would do back in Genesis chapter 12 when he was talking to Abraham and all of in, in, in making a promise that would apply to all of Abraham's descendants. God's plan, we're going to see again, is not frustrated by the actions of wicked people. His plans are not derailed when we are cheated and defrauded. His plans and promises to his people will triumph despite any oppos- opposition or even persecution. We're going to see that again this morning. And I pray that as we do, we would be able to endure ourselves as we are cheated and wronged. And not just endure, but trust and even forgive and even love our enemies. The main point of the story is connected to last week's, what we saw, and we'll say it kind of again in a a similar way. God is faithful to prosper his people, and he's worthy of our trust. God is faithful to prosper you, his people, and he is worthy of our trust. And we can rest in his goodness. We can rest in his promises, knowing that nothing can separate us from the love of God. 
And so in the end, God is going to prosper Jacob. His promise of land and seed and blessing that he made to Abraham is going to come to pass in Jacob's life and is ultimately going to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at the passage this morning in two parts. Uh, If you're taking notes, uh, part one, we're going to see a contract between Jacob and Laban. So we'll just call that contract. It goes from verses 25 to 36 of chapter 30. And then in part two, we're going to see a contest between these two guys, um, Jacob and Laban, trying to outwit each other. So number two, contest, and that goes from verses 37 to 43. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck you from his hand. Do you believe that this morning? Let's look at our passage together and see what God would teach us. Number one, contract. Contract. And, and I know that this story, in, as we study Genesis, kind of builds on itself. And so it's easy to forget uh, how we got here. And so I want us to remember that Jacob's name means cheater. It means heel grabber, deceiver. So from the womb, he is trying to get ahead. He stole his brother's birthright and blessing by deceiving both his brother and his father. And because his brother wanted to kill him, his mother sent him away. Rebekah sent him to his uncle Laban in Haran. And that's where we find him now. Jacob left. He left in a hurry. Rebekah said it would only be for a few days. Well, it's been 14 years, and we know ultimately it'll be 20 years. But he thought Esau was right behind him. But on that journey, the Lord intercepted him. The Lord interrupted him and and met with him and and gave him this this vision of a stairway to heaven with angels going up and down, kind of this link between heaven and earth. Look look back at chapter 28 and see the way that God speaks to Jacob, because this is important for the way that we read the rest of his narrative. Chapter 28, beginning in verse 13, this is the Lord speaking. Or we, we, the narrator begins in verse 13. And behold, the Lord stood above it, the, the ladder or the stairway, and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the, God of Je- and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth Be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until you have done what I have promised to you. Now, we've already seen God promise this promise of seed. Your offspring will be teeming and great like the dust of the earth. It's going to be fulfilled. As Jacob, we saw last time, had 12 children, 11 sons, one daughter in seven years' time. And now, so so we're seeing this creation mandate that we saw given to Adam and to Eve, be fruitful and multiply, carry through to Abraham and Isaac and now to Jacob. But now that blessing is going to continue, not only with Jacob's children, but with his material possessions, his flocks. And so when the Lord opened Rachel's womb and she gave birth to, to, to Joseph, we remember it was like a signpost to Jacob, that it was time to go home, time to go back to the land. And and this also seems to fall at the end of this second seven-year commitment to serve Laban. 
And so that's where we find ourselves in chapter 30. So turn back there, chapter 30, beginning there in verse 25. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. And this reminds us of what Abraham's servant said to Laban, same Laban, back in chapter 24. If you remember, after he had agreed to send Rebekah back then, back home to marry Isaac, and the bride price had already been paid, the celebration had been completed, and then the servant says, now, let her come with me. And Laban says, or he says, send her away to my master. And Laban says, why not have them stay a little longer? Or let the young woman decide if she really does want to go after all. So, so again, this is the kind of person Laban is, and we're expecting something similar here. We're expecting Laban to try and keep Jacob and his family from leaving again, and surely Jacob is thinking the same thing. Later, God's law is going to speak to this very situation in Deuteronomy 15. We read this, If your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you, he shall serve you six years, and on the seventh year you shall let him go free from you. And when you let him go free from you, you shall not let him go empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally out of your flock, out of your threshing floor, and out of your winepress. As the Lord your God has blessed you, you shall give to him. That's Deuteronomy 15, 12 to 14. But Laban is not a man who fears the Lord. He is not a man whose life is submitted to God's word. He's what you would call a flat character. Okay, if you look at his character in the storyline, it has no real development into godliness of character or, or, or any kind of, of growth where we say, okay, well, there are these, there are these points where we can say, okay, there's, there's growth in Laban's. No, he's, he's consistently deceitful, materialistic, lying, and, and scheming. He's a flat character. Jacob is many of those things, but his character is not flat. He's a developing character. He shows signs of life, of, of faith and trust in God's promises. Even notice here, he says, send me back to my home, my country, my, another word for, for land. So it's like he's, he's even here believing God's promise to bring him back, to give him the land. So friend, I just say to you, brother, sister, Christian, don't be discouraged um, if, if you look and see, man, I would love to see a lot more progress in my life spiritually. I'm only mainly aware of my failures. Um, and, and I just want to encourage you to keep putting one foot in front of the other. Continue to, to trust God that he is going to be working in you. Continue to repent of your sin and believe on Jesus Christ and trust him and seek him. On the other hand, if you're here this morning and Maybe you would say, well, I don't know that I've had any real desire for, for God. We need to understand that believers are, are not going to flatline. We are not flat characters. If there's a consistent zero in, in my heart in the category of love for God, I'm talking about zero. Zero desire to repent of sin. Zero desire to grow. Zero desire to love and serve and commit myself to other Christians. Then you should be very concerned about your life spiritually. You should take moments like this, times when you do gather, for whatever reason that you're here, to, to evaluate your heart. 
and to turn from your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ and to, to see the urgency of the situation that you're not promised tomorrow. Trust Christ today. And so, so Laban, flat character, Jacob is a developing character by God's grace. Now, Laban seems to be on his heels here as Jacob makes this request to him. I'm ready to leave. And so he, he resorts to a little bit of flattery. Uh, chapter 30, verse uh, 27. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. So Laban is here speaking to Jacob like, almost like Jacob's in charge. If I have found favor in your sight. But don't be fooled. Laban has a plan. He has divined the truth, apparently. Uh, a broken clock is right twice a day, Right? This divination could have something to do with looking for omens or signs, um, some kind of magic or witchcraft. We don't, we don't know, but it helps him to somehow discern what should be obvious to him, that he is being blessed because of Jacob. But actually, the Hebrew, if you look, if you have the ESV, you actually have a footnote, can also mean that he's just become rich. And, and he's figured out that he's become rich because of Jacob, and that's because the Lord is blessing Jacob. Well, Jacob agrees just to help him with this and spell out in detail what's actually happened. So verse 29, Jacob said to him, you yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came and it has increased abundantly and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now when shall I provide for my own household also? And so Jacob knows God's promise I will bless you and make your name great. I will make you great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and to those dis who dishonor you, I will curse. I will make you a blessing to the nations. All of the earth, God has a cosmic plan to bless all of the earth with his glory. And this is happening now so much so that Laban recognizes it and he's, gonna, he's tasting it, not, but he's not gonna just taste the blessing. He's going to also taste the curse for the way that he's going to treat Jacob. But it starts with what seems to be an innocent question there in verse 28 from, from, from Laban. Jake, or Jacob said to him, I'm sorry, verse 28, but Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it. It always kind of comes back to money with Laban. He's one of those guys. And in a very tricky way here, we remember that the agreement between um, Laban and Jacob was for 14 years for service for both of his daughters, and that's done. And so technically, Laban doesn't owe Jacob anything. And so by talking about wages, he's also suggesting that Jacob start a new season of servitude so that he could pay him for that and not leave. So just a subtle way of kind of hooking him in. So again, uh, verse 31, he said, what shall I give you? And Jacob said, you should not give me anything. For if you will do this for me, I will again pastor your flock and keep it. And so Jacob wants some way to provide for his family. Basically, he's just been serving Laban up to this point. But now he wants to provide for his own family. And so he's proposing uh, another deal. Verse 32, let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. 
So my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. So this is Jacob's idea for for wages. And I learned this week uh, that a flock like this in the Near East, um, you would have sheep that are mostly white. And, and the goats are black or dark brown, so mostly kind of single-colored, monochrome. Multicolored sheep um, and goats are much more rare. And so what Jacob is suggesting is that he would take the minority of the flock, the multicolored animals, to be his wage, and the pure white sheep and the, the dark goats would be Laban's. And, and this would make it easy to say, okay, whose animals are whose, and it'd also be a way to, to keep Jacob honest. In quotes. I also learned that a shepherd would normally take 20% of the flock as his wages. So as he worked this flock, he would take 20% uh, for, for, for himself. And what, what commentators say that this arrangement would be even less than that that he's asking for here. So it seems like a very generous offer from, from Jacob to, to Laban. But Jacob doesn't come up with this on his own. Uh, We have to skip ahead a little bit, but it's actually a flashback. But we're going to skip ahead a little bit to chapter 31. Flip over there and uh, look at verse 10. And we'll see kind of whose idea this really was. Verse 10. This is Jacob speaking to Leah and Rachel. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of the Lord said to me in a dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see all the goats that, that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go from this land, and return to the land of your kindred." So, so God has shown Jacob that he's going to be with him and that somehow all of these solid-colored animals are going to produce spotted and striped animals. And so this is Jacob's offer to, to Laban, knowing this, this promise, um, and Laban is more than happy to take it. But Laban, as the kids say, going to Laban. And we're going to see in the next verses just how he does that. So chapter 30, verse 34, Laban said, Good, let it be to you as you have said. But that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it and every lamb that was black and put them in charge of his sons And he set a distance three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. So the ink isn't dry yet on the contract, and Laban's already breaking it. Instead of Jacob taking these animals to be his wages and breeding them, Laban takes them away and has his sons take them on a three-day journey to make sure that there's no interaction away from Jacob, leaving Jacob with only the solid-colored animals. So he is here dishonoring, deceiving, taking advantage of, or we might say even cursing, a descendant of Abraham. That is not a good plan, according to Genesis 12, 1 to 3. 
But this does leave Jacob with a, a challenging situation. In human terms, it leaves, it leaves him with nothing. What are the odds that, that these solid-colored animals are going to produce a lot of speckled and striped animals? Uh, not very good. And how long is it going to take before it actually is going to be any benefit to him at all? Jeremiah says in chapter 13, verse 23, Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then also you can do good who are accustomed to doing evil. So we see human ingenuity and scheming from Jeremiah are actually powerless to make real change. The odds are worse than we think. Only God can can bring about change. We're, We're at a spiritual zero unless God changes us. But Jacob here isn't working with worldly odds. He has a promise from God. The God who who says things like this, Psalm 7, verse 14, Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and on his own skull his violence descends. I love the reference there to the skull, perhaps even the skull that would be crushed by the seed of the woman. God will ultimately defeat evil. Job, in Job 5, speaking of God again, he frustrates the devices of the crafty so that their hands achieve no success. He catches the wise in their own craftiness, and the schemes of the wily are brought to a quick end. And and so, so I can feel my own blood pressure go up as I see this, as I see Laban again deceptively cheating Jacob. I know something probably comes to your own mind that, that is much more personal, and maybe that you can give an example to, someone's betrayal or evil actions that have directly affected you, maybe with lifelong consequences. And let's make no mistake, God is just, and there's a level of justice that we ought to and should seek in this life, on this planet. So there are consequences for our actions, consequences for crimes that are committed, and we must stand up and protect others, protect our family, protect our church family, our communities from sin and evil. And some of you know that we had a, a car that was vandalized this past couple of weeks ago and, uh, you know, stole our catalytic converter, and, and I kind of had one of those moments in the mirror, like, what would I do if I walked up on those guys as they were sawing it off? You know, what would I do to them? Um, and, and, and so just that, that feeling of, you took my, my thing. Or some of you have, have seen these, these pictures of a, of, a, of a podium with a first place and second place and third place awards for swimmers. And the first place, it's a women's race, and the first place is a, a man who's identifying as a woman, and he's winning all the races. And you say, that's, yeah, that's, we ought to stand up and say that's wrong. That's against God's order of creation. We ought to protect our daughters from, from these kind of things and understand that there's going to be a time to, to stand up and speak. But we also need to understand from a passage like this that the truth is God absolutely has no real legitimate rivals. And that means you can trust in God to take care of yours. God has no rivals and you can trust in God to take care of of yours. 
That's Paul's main point in Romans chapter 12. Romans 12, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Leave it to the wrath of God. Replace your vengeance with trust, your, your, your anger with blessing for your enemies. Because you and I were just as hopeless, enemies of God. And his eternal fiery wrath was aimed at us. And he has shown us mercy. He has dealt with our betrayal, our sin, our treachery by laying it all on Jesus Christ. And so we don't repay evil for evil because we know that not one single evil deed will ever go unpunished. Every injustice will be made right. It was either punished exhaustively on Jesus at the cross or it will be punished exhaustively on sinners in hell. There is, there is no outside area of God's jurisdiction. Every injustice will be made right. Friend, I hope you understand and know this gospel, this good news. I hope that you would hear of, of this God who has made a way for you to be forgiven of your sins, made a way for you to know him, and that you would desire him. And you can come to him today through Jesus Christ. If you would turn from your sins and put your faith and trust in him. Put your trust in the one who died on the cross for our sins and then rose from the grave the third day, victorious over sin and death. We'd love to talk to you more about that if you have a question about what it means to be forgiven of your sins and made right with God through Jesus. We all have patsies in our life. And if you don't yet, you will. So as Paul says, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with everyone through Jesus. Bring your hurt to him. Bring your betrayal to him, your broken heart to him. Now, how will Jacob respond to this treachery? Well, Laban going to Laban, Jacob going to Jacob. So let's look at number two, contest, contest. We've already seen the, uh, the inclination in Rachel's heart if you remember, if you were with us last time, to trust in outside sources to, to provide what only God could bring about as it relates to, to children, both Rachel and Leah went outside of God's plan and had, uh, had their, their servant maids as surrogate wives to provide children. And then Rachel bartered for the use of mandrakes, which is like this fertility fruit, hoping that she would have children through them. Instead, Leah has more children than Rachel, and Rachel remains barren until the Lord opens her womb. What we see Jacob here doing in our passage, I think, is akin to trusting in these mandrakes to do what only God can do, what God said he would do. We know what God has said to him. So let's pick it up in verse 37 and see how Jacob go about, goes about this. He's got all the speckled, all, the, all the, the things that were his are gone. Verse 37, then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees 
and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is, the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks. And so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. If you ever wonder about our commitment to expositional preaching, hey, we're going to preach the sheep-bearing breeding passages. Yes, we are, because we think they're for our good. So what is going on here? I know you come to places in your Bible reading where you're like, okay, I have no idea what this is, and, and it's okay. I come to that a lot as a preacher, so we're in the same boat. I think what's happening here is there is a superstitious kind of folklore that says when, when an animal or maybe even a person has a vivid sight when they're pregnant or mating, then that sight, whatever they see, is then reproduced in the, the offspring. So it's believed if animals saw white streaks on these tree branches, they're going to produce offspring that also had white streaks. And maybe some of us think about these kind of things even before, like, we don't want to be too hard on Jacob here because, I mean, how many of, how many of you moms have played Beethoven with your belly, you know, when you're, you've got kids and you, this is going to make them smart? Maybe that does. I don't have the research to, to back that up. Uh, my mom always said that because she ate Mexican food when she was pregnant, that's why I like Mexican food so much. I don't know if that's true. Uh, if you know any baseball players, you know they're the most superstitious people on the face of the planet. Why are you wearing that shirt seven weeks in a row? Because I've been on a hitting streak. And it's like, well, you're a Christian. Oh, I know, I know. But when, I, when they step into the baseball diamond, it's like everything's off. I can't step on that line. Or then I would be 0 for 8, you know, whatever it is. So I think that's probably what's happening here. Uh, as far as I can tell, there's nothing to this. This is just superstition. Jacob thinking that his, his folklore has the power, this folklore can do what only God said he would do. And, and God has told him that he would do it. And yet Jacob goes about this meaningless practice. Uh, if you look at the Hebrew, uh, it's, it's even those words like since and so that you find in verses 38 and 39 that communicate purpose. So this happened because... Uh, those are not in the original. It's just this kind of just clear, like, dry, this is what happened, and this is what happened. That's what I think is going on. Uh, but I don't think he's completely superstitious. So Jacob is wise. He's ambitious. And so he, he, uh, what, he ha- what he does next, I think, is uh, it makes a lot more sense. Verse 41, whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the trough before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. But... For the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. And so, so he is practicing some kind of uh, selective breeding that would ensure that the, the weaker of the flock are going to go to Laban. And Jacob is going to have the stronger. Uh, and so, and so the, one advantage um, in God's sovereignty of, of Laban taking these uh, other animals and saying, you're going to go a three days journey away, is that now Jacob, Jacob has all this privacy to do whatever he wants to do, all this manipulation that, that uh, he does here. Laban dishonored Jacob. That's, that's the, the main point. So, so we don't know, I don't, I don't have a degree in eugenics and how all this works, but, but what I think the big picture is Laban dishonored Jacob and he's going to be cursed by God. 
But it's not going to be clever, these clever practices by Jacob that bring about these results. It's God and all God. And that's what the next chapter is going to show us. Uh, if you look over uh, again in chapter 31, uh, this, is, this is where we'll see this next time. Jacob uh, talking to Leah and Rachel. He says in verse 8, If he, if God said, the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. If he said, the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus, God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. God did this. God was at work in this miracle. And so, beloved, we just want to stop and be reminded that this is our hope, that what are, what are the odds that we would be saved? You know, one sinner plus another sinner equals a sinner. That's just the way it goes. God has to break in. God has to break in, in his mercy, by his grace. Tim Challey said it this way. He said, we cannot change ourselves from within, but God delights to change us from without. And he does. He does all that is necessary to save his people. He gives us salvation as a free gift of grace. The rhetorical question, can the leopard change his spots, is answered with a resounding no, followed by something far, far better. The leopard cannot change himself, but God can change the leopard. The sinner cannot save himself, but God loves to save the sinner. That is our one and only hope. That truth has to inform the way that we live, the way that we evangelize. So when we evangelize, we don't need the worldly methods, the, 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 the spotted sticks of the world to try to trick someone or convince someone into saying the right thing and saying the right prayer. No, we need to pray that God would open their eyes, open their heart to the gospel and give them the gospel and ask that they would respond to the gospel in repentance and faith. This changes the way that we pray when we believe that this, the, the important things in life are, are from God, the grace of God. The way that we deal with situations that, that seem like there is no solution logically you may be thinking that right now about your own marriage, about a situation with some of your children, some unrelenting physical challenges that you're having. Remember that you pray to the God who changes the sheep and the goat's color and the leopard's spots. He changes the human heart as well. And he is with us. It's only God's grace that brings true change. Beloved, don't forget that. Of course, Laban wants to be, he wants the blessing of God, but he doesn't want the person of God. He wants prosperity by association. But when we truly love and seek the Lord, the blessings of the Lord only enhance our love for him. They satisfy us more in him and make us more generous, more loving, more giving to others. So we want to seek the Lord that we might bless others. That is God's program. Have you noticed that in Genesis 12 and following that he blesses so that, that this people might be a blessing to others, ultimately the nations. We're not meant to be a cul-de-sac of grace, but a highway that goes out to others. God's continuing to keep his promise here to bless and prosper Jacob. And that last verse in the text emphasizes this, verse 43. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. 
And it's just what God said would happen. In chapter 28, the Lord said that he would increase Jacob greatly, and that's exactly what we see happening. The Lord keeps his promises. Despite man's scheming, Laban's sons are going to complain. When they, when they see this develop, and it seems to develop a lot quicker than natural, which shouldn't surprise us. Like, these are like super goats. Jacob, he said, you've, Jacob has taken all of our father's wealth, all that is our father's. But, but we just know what Jacob says. It's not true. God took it. God is keeping his word. Those that dishonor you, I will curse. And Jacob knew and understood this. But he still has to put his twist on things. The superstitious sticks still show that he is a work in progress. But it is God's work. It is God's work in him. And that will continue to make him more and more as to what God intends him to be. So he will be less and less like just Jacob, but he's going to become Israel. And that's our hope, isn't it, Christian? That God is continuing to work in us in that way. That we are in process, developing according to God's grace. God is making Jacob into a great nation. And he's blessing him immensely. And he's about to take him home to the land that he had promised him. Because Jacob has, in a sense, been in exile. And in that exile, he's been in slavery. And he's been mistreated. But God has heard and saw his plight. But even in exile, Jacob's family multiplies. Friends, does that sound familiar? When the people of Israel wind up in Egypt, they too are going to multiply. So much so that they would threaten the Egyptians by their numbers. And when they left, they plundered the Egyptians. They plundered their masters. Exodus 12. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. In our story, it's like Jacob is plundering his slave master by taking from his flock on his way to the promised land. The Lord brought plagues to Egypt when they wouldn't let his people go. And when Laban won't let Jacob go, he's bringing this, this miracle of the flocks that he will be able to flee. The prophet Hosea sees these connections uh, in chapter 12, the connections between Jacob and Laban and Israel and, and Egypt. Hosea 12, verse 12, Jacob fled to the land of Aram. There Israel served for a wife, and for a wife he guarded sheep. By a prophet, the Lord brought Israel up from Egypt, and by a prophet, he was guarded. That Exodus theme we see throughout the scriptures, and eventually God would call the true Israel, Jesus Christ out of Egypt himself. Matthew 2, Jesus is taken to Egypt to flee from Herod, but then he is brought home to fulfill what the Lord had said out of, from Hosea 11, out of Egypt, I called my son. And Jesus is leading now a spiritual exodus, calling people out of slavery to sin, calling them to the prosperity that is found in the gospel. Forgiveness of sins, new life, and relationship with God himself. A new place, a place where God is. And ultimately one day where we will be with him forever. So, beloved, trust God. Give yourselves to him. Be satisfied in Christ. That'll change the way that you and I react when the Patsies and the Labans of the world enter into our story. James Coulter said that the unforgiving spirit is the number one killer of the spiritual life. 
Whitney said, a forgiving spirit characterizes those who have been forgiven. Repenters toward God are forgivers toward others. David said in in Psalm 86, For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. So, friend, I would just implore you to call upon him in faith. Call upon him in trust. Trust the promises of God. Trust him for his justice. Trust him for help to initiate a conversation that may need to happen even today after church with someone that you need to forgive or you may need to be forgiven by. Call on him as you seek to love and bless your enemies and leave vengeance over to the Lord. Leave it at the cross. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful that all of your word is profitable and true and builds us up. And uh, we, we just thank you for this text and we thank you for your spirit's inspiration of the word. And that we know when you have spirit-indwelled people who are listening and studying and thinking through this, this spirit-empowered word, Lord, that you are bringing about growth and life. And so we, we pray that you would be doing that He would be making us more and more into the image of Christ. Lord, helping us to be a faithful witness, helping us to love one another well. And Lord, we know even from our church covenant that that includes forgiveness, bearing with one another. And Lord, we pray that that love that we share, Lord, would be obvious to those even who don't know you. And that in that love they would see Christ. Lord, we thank you for our time together. We worship you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.